So hey everyone, welcome back to PwC's Leap Network, How to Empower podcast, and another episode which I hope is going to uplift you, inspire you, and challenge you for whatever's ahead of you today. As always, this podcast offers practical advice on how you can empower yourself and others to take action and drive change for a more inclusive workplace. So in this episode, we'll be talking about grief and having empowering conversations about grief. According to the Office for National Statistics, on average, there are over 500,000 deaths per year in the UK. Bereavement and grief is something that we will all go through at some point in our lives, but it's one of the many things people struggle to talk about. So in this episode, I'm joined by the co-founder of our Leap Network, Emma Charlesworth, who will look to have empowering conversations on grief. Um, Emma co-founded the Leap Network and this podcast series, and it's usually behind the scenes, so it's great to be talking to her today. So Emma, can you tell me a bit about your story and why you're a guest today? Sure, thanks Depesh. Um, it's great to be on this side of it today. Um, so I wanna start by saying I'm not an expert on grief and I'm not gonna to pretend to be an expert on grief, um, but I, my story is that I was widowed at the age of 39 last year so my husband um, died of covid in april 2020 he had been ill at home for a week he then spent three weeks in itu fighting covid um, before ultimately um, he passed away in april as i say it left me widowed at the age of 39 raising our daughter she was 10 when he died so it was unlike anything I could have ever prepared for. And I think when you're a control freak in the way that I am, grief, bereavement, there is no, you have no control over that. And so I've had to learn how to deal with being bereaved and not just being bereaved, but being bereaved during a global pandemic and all of the complications that come with that whilst trying to juggle my grief whilst being a mother, whilst working um and just trying to survive and get through every single day um again my experience doesn't make me an expert but it's it's taught me an awful lot over the last eight coming up 18 months as to how to try and deal with it and and what works and what doesn't would you be able to share a bit more about what happened if you're comfortable in doing so yeah absolutely and my story and his story, which ultimately it is, I think is one that's probably very similar to a number of people over the course of the last 18 months. Um, so it was very early on. He actually came down with a temperature the day before we were put into lockdown, the first lockdown, so the 22nd of March. And even then, didn't really feel that this was going to be real. Um, this was something that was happening on the news. This was something that was happening across the world. This wasn't going to happen in my house, surely. It couldn't happen in my house. Um, we'd been following all of the, you know, the guidance, everything. Um, and at that point, the symptoms and everything was a cough and a temperature. And he never had a cough. And I, I clung to that in those very first few days was that, well, he hasn't got a cough. So it's probably just flu or something else um, because at that point they also weren't testing you for COVID unless you were in hospital. So despite the fact he had this temperature and 
he wasn't well. We we didn't know for definite. Um, and over the course of that week, he um, he got steadily more lethargic. Wasn't well. He wasn't eating. I can remember on the Saturday, which was two days before he went into hospital, him saying that his food just didn't taste right. There was a funny taste to it, which obviously we now know is a symptom of COVID. But at that point, it was still so early. Nobody knew. Um, And he just got worse and worse. But all I kept clinging to was he hasn't got a cough. Right. So we'd had two conversations with 111 and they were, they, their advice was, it does sound like he's got it, but if he's able to get out of bed and he's not so breathless that he can't finish sentences and you've just got to ride it out, mm. just got to ride it out. Um, and then the early hours of the 30th of March, and I can vividly remember that date because it was my 39th birthday. Mm. So the early hours of that morning, he had what I thought was a panic attack. Um, now, I, I obviously know n- now that it was because of lack of oxygen but I rang 999 um but even that was I just need some help I think my husband's having a panic attack um by the way 111 think he might have covid and the 999 call handler said to me why do they think that and I said well he's had a temperature and he's just not been very well I said but he's not got a cough he's never had a cough and that was all I was clinging to um so it was a very surreal situation. Three paramedics were in the house. Obviously, at the time, no one was allowed in our house either. So I had to ring my mum to be on the phone to my daughter because I couldn't be with her and be with him. And the paramedics needed to ask me questions. So she was literally downstairs on the phone to my mum. Um, paramedics were in the house. He then walked down our stairs. He walked to the ambulance um, I was told to leave it half an hour and then ring our local hospital to see what the update was. Um, and at that point, I discovered he had been sedated and ventilated and rushed straight to ITU. Wow. Um, he was then in ITU for three weeks on a ventilator mm. dialysis machine um, before he passed away. Mm. I'm so sorry. Thank you. Um after he'd passed away, what did you, this might sound like an obvious question or a silly question even, but what, what did you feel? Like, what did you experience? I think, and there is no such thing as a silly question when it comes to this. I think, um, I think it was just shock. I th- it, and I can remember the, the day he died, getting the call from the hospital to say that he had died and just putting the phone down and going, well, what do I do with this piece of information? What, mm. what, what do I do with it? Mm. Um, obviously, no one was allowed in the house. And I, at that point, I was like, well, I could ring people and, and do what? And my daughter and I were in the middle of watching a film when I got the call. And I, I told her and then I said, we're just going to finish watching that film then, shall we? Because I didn't know what to do with it. Mm. And I think there was just this whole disbelief. And as I said, he, uh, he'd he walked to the ambulance. Mm. So for a long time, I was like, I don't, I can't compute walking to an ambulance and then dying. He was 45 when he died as well. Um, so young, mm. 
even though I'd always wound him up about being old. He was really, he was young. Um, and it was just like, I don't, I don't understand. And when I had to register his death um, two, two days after he died, and I can remember the lady saying to me, right, so she, she took me through the details and she, she asked for my name and she was like, right, and so you're his widow. And at that point, it was the first time someone had called me a widow. Mm. And, and that, was, that was shock as well because I'm like, I'm 39. Mm. I'm a widow and I'm meant to be 85. Mm. Like, and I'm meant to be in my 80s. You, mm. you, you're not a widow in your 30s, are you? Mm. Um, and and that, that was the first... So two days after he died was the first time I got that label, if you like, of oh. being a widow. Yeah. Um, yeah I would say emotions shock mm. numb mm. disbelief mm. um and just a sense of feeling lost mm. just very lost because you've got a daughter as well yeah so it's not just about it's not just about you it's about her mm. as well so how did you look after your daughter as well as go through what you went through and 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 just bearing in mind that this is during a pandemic, like this is this is you know you couldn't have visitors at the time. I think so. How did that all work? So I think your your instincts just kick in. So as I say, we were watching a film, mm-hmm. and after that, I then rang uh, my husband's dad and I rang his two sisters mm. to let them know. Um, and then I looked at the clock and I went, "Okay, it's dinner time." What, what do you want for dinner? Mm. Because at that point, as you say, no one was allowed in the house. Everything was shut. Mm. So I couldn't order a takeaway. I couldn't take her out to a restaurant. I couldn't go, right, we're going to go to the theatre. We're going to go to the cinema. We're going to go and just hide and pretend everything's normal, if you like. I didn't have a choice. I had to feed her. Mm. I had to be a mother. Mm. And I think you you just carry on. As trivial as that sounds, I think because we were in a pandemic and I had no choice, I didn't have somebody able to come in and cook me meals. I didn't have somebody able to come in and look after her whilst I went and slept or did whatever, for example. You just have to keep going. Yeah. And I'm not saying that's necessarily the right thing to do. And there are lots of people that would do it differently. But I just felt I have to keep going. I have to be a mother. And she is, she is my priority. She comes first. She's 10 years old. She has just lost her dad in the middle of a global pandemic. There is no stability for her because obviously the schools were shut as well. So she wasn't at school. Mm-hmm. She's an only child. So she was not around any other children mm-hmm. because she couldn't be. Support bubbles came in a few months later, mm-hmm. which was when we were then able to bubble with my sister and... Um, then she was able to spend time with her cousins, but she wasn't allowed to be with children. She wasn't. And so she became my sole focus. Right. I think I would take a back seat, yeah. actually, because all I cared about was helping her process mm. what had happened to her, right. which was just huge. Mm. Um, but I think it's natural instinct. I think you just kick in and carry on yeah thank you for sharing that um that I, I have a question around um widowed and young 
which is um, a charity you've written about on Twitter, on your social media. Um, and in March, you became an ambassador for the charity. Can you tell us a bit more about that and how that came about and what type of work you do? Sure. So it was actually via social media that I found out about the charity. And I think at this point, um, I made a very conscious decision to be open about what was happening to us. I've always used social media. I am not, I don't believe social media is about cupcakes and rainbows and only, you know, posting about the positive things. So I was very open about what we were going through. And actually, because we weren't allowed physical support, that virtual support I got from everyone, um, whether that be employees of the firm, whether it be through colleagues, whether it be through alumni, whether it be through whoever, that support meant so very much to me to be getting all of that virtually. Um, and just I'm still to this day, I'm so grateful for all of that support we had from a virtual perspective. Um, and it was actually somebody via Twitter who had seen it recommended the charity to me. And at the time, I think he'd only been dead for a couple of weeks. And I can remember looking at it going, and what use is that going to be to me? Mm okay, it's a charity for people who have been widowed and they're young. This was still when I was struggling to come to terms with being a widow. Um, and a few months later, I was trying to sort my car insurance and my home insurance out. And all of a sudden on the drop down menu, I had to select widowed, not married. And that made me feel so rubbish. Yeah. It was just there in black and white. Yet, as amazing as all of my friends and my family and everyone around me was being, I didn't feel anyone got it. I didn't feel there was anyone for me to go, this is really rubbish. That And they could understand because how do you understand? And, and I've often said, you know, if I'd have worked with somebody or a close friend of mine had gone through what I'd gone through, would I have known what to say to them? I don't know. Mm. Um, so it was it was doing the car insurance and the home insurance that prompted me to look up Widowed and Young again. So Widowed and Young, it's the only national charity in the UK for anyone who is aged 50 and under when their partner dies. Um, next year, it will have been in existence for 25 years. So it's its 25th anniversary. It was founded by um, a journalist who wanted, found there was no support for her sister after her sister was widowed. So she founded this charity in 1997. Um, there's now more than 4,000 members of the charity across um, the UK. And it just provides peer-to-peer -peer support to people who have been widowed, as I say, under the age of 50, um, whether they're married or not, whether they're with or without children, whatever their sexual orientation. And it's just nice to be able to have that support of people who get it and who understand. And there is always somebody there. So if you if you ha are having a random thought, so I had something, I really struggled on Father's Day last year because my daughter was fine with it, but I wasn't. Mm. And I felt that I must be abnormal because why wasn't why was I suffering when she wasn't? Um, and so I, I just put something out on the Facebook page as if to go, hang about, yeah. <laughs> you know, why am I feeling like this? And and people will come back and people will, will share their stories. And it's, like I say, it's peer-to-peer -peer network support. And it's just so refreshing mm. to have somebody go, you're not alone. Yeah. And I think that's it. And so... I'd really started to benefit from the charity and it was around December last time that the applications were open for ambassadors um, who will talk about the charity and who are prepared to share their story. And I think I've 
very much gone on a mission since he died that he won't just be a statistic of this pandemic mm. and I will share his story and I will be there for others, I think. Mm. And as I say, I wouldn't have known what to say to me. So anything I can do in talking about this charity, in talking about my experience, in sharing, to, to break that taboo of grief and bereavement, um, then, I, then I'll do it. Um, and so I applied and was successful in my application. Um, and so officially became an ambassador in March this year. So um, I think my I was announced on the 23rd of March, which was a year since we all went into lockdown last year. So really poignant, actually. And yeah, so we've just gone from there, really. Wow. Sounds great. It sounds like you've found a network that supports you, understands what you've what you've been through and what you are going through. And you can connect with other people that have been through and are going through their own situations as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's really important. And there isn't one size fits all. Mm. You know, as I, as I said earlier, the way I would do it is probably very different to how somebody else would do it. Mm. But that doesn't matter. There's a, there's a commonality that we all understand what it's like to have suddenly had your entire world ups- turned upside down. Yeah. You know, and as I mentioned earlier, I'm a bit of a control freak. There's no control with this. Yeah. I'm not in control of anything. I'm not in control of when grief hits me. Yeah. I'm not in control of what it feels like to have lost the person you were meant to spend the rest of your life with mm. um, when you're in your 30s. Mm. Just, just on um, conversations around grief and bereavement, so how would you encourage anyone listening to support those who are bereaved and, and grieving and are going through a situation that's very difficult for them? I think it's very easy to put expectations on people. And I think one of the things that I have learned is there is no logic to this. So I think we naturally think that people move on or they they get over it and in fact I did have somebody ask me six months after he died if I was over it yet and, and and it took me a moment or two to even work out what they were referring to because I was just so dumbfounded that I'd been asked if I'd got over it yet and the world the world didn't stop the day my husband died I know that the world kept going but I've been hit by waves when I least expect them. And and I think it's just just don't don't put an expectation on someone just because of how you might have dealt with it. That doesn't mean that's how somebody else is going to deal with it. And I think the most the most important question I ever get asked is how are you doing? Mm. And even now, you know, someone for someone, we're heading up to 18 months. Mm. And even for people to just go, how are you doing? Mm. How are things? Mm. With not an expectation on the answer mm. is just, it makes the world a difference. Mm. Um, it's, it's really refreshing to be able to say, you know, what? I'm actually really rubbish today. And people go, okay. And that's, I think that's what shocked me the most is when, when I have crashed and I have really struggled with my grief Mm. is having people go 
okay. Yeah. And even I've said to them, but I didn't see it coming. Mm. And I don't, I don't know how long this, this crashing is going to last. Um, I've, I've, I've been like this for two weeks. And I know I do it myself. Like I sit there and I'm like, but I've been like this for two weeks. Surely I should be getting better by now. Mm. There is no getting better. Mm. There's learning to live with what's happened to you and moving forward. Mm. But you, you don't get better. It's not like a broken leg that will fix in time. Yeah. Um, so to have people that don't have that expectation when I say I'm not doing so well today mm. does make the world a difference. And just people listening, I think. Having people being prepared to listen yeah. is so important. Yeah. So it could be asking how you are, not having expectations, but also just being there to listen to you. Yeah. What's the one thing you've learned about grief since Charlie died? That it doesn't have a logic. There is no logic to grief and... As I say, I think you you want to try and put it in a box and you want to say, okay, so I feel, th- feel this rubbish for these three weeks, but I'll be okay in three weeks' time. You just have to go with it. And I've learned that just go with it. Go with your emotions. And as I say, I can – I'm – I can cry wherever, mm. and, I, and I do cry wherever, much to my daughter's embarrassment. Um, I will cry on the tube if a wave hits me on the tube. I will cry in the theatre if something is really emotional. I, I can cry pretty much whenever because it will just hit me, and I think sometimes it surprises me. It takes me completely by surprise. And that's what I mean by the, the no logic. I think there are times when it would just come totally left field Mm. and it will be just like, where has that come from? Mm. But it's a trigger. And actually just to go with it and don't try to understand and make sense of it, but just to feel comfortable that there is no logic and to, to just accept what's happening and, and process it in your own way. Now, like I say, I will sit there and cry on the tube, in the theatre, wherever. Yeah. That's not going to work for everybody. There are some people that just won't feel comfortable doing that. But that's all right too. I think the most important thing you can do with your grief is to manage it and manage this unlogical thing in a way that works for you mm. and not to fall into the trap of, putting on a brave face and mm. and and meeting everybody's expectations mm. you just do what's right for you because that's the only way you can possibly cope with what's happened to you thank you there is one more question how can everyone feel empowered to be more open in talking about topics such as grief which can be seen as taboo subjects so i've certainly found it really eye opening the last 18 months is that in some way or another in some guys we will all experience bereavement we will all be bereaved by someone whether that's a pet whether it's a grandparent a parent a sibling a friend a spouse it's something that we all go through yet people don't really talk about it because it's uncomfortable 
to talk about, right? It, it's uncomfortable to talk about death. And, and I think there's also people are always worried about saying the wrong thing mm. and upsetting you. And so, as I say, I, I made a very conscious decision very early on that I was going to be honest and I would tell our story and I would speak about it. And I think that is how you can feel empowered is just to to be honest. And I think it's only by people sharing their stories and talking about what's happened to them that, that things like this will stop to be a taboo because it will it will make it more normal. And I think all the while we all try and put on that brave face and we all try to pretend that everything's fine and we're all okay. That's when that's why people don't understand how to support someone who's grieving or someone who has been bereaved. It's because they don't understand. And, you know, I launched um, my own blog earlier this year. And it's the most humbling thing in the world when someone writes to you and says, I don't know if you need to hear this, but you've helped a stranger today. Because I'm just sharing what I've gone through. Mm. But to have somebody say, that's helped me today, Mm. is really, really humbling yeah. But it means so much. And if actually me sharing my story and me talking about it helps people, then that's amazing. I just see what I do as a bit of waffle and getting stuff out of my head. Um, but if it helps someone and helps to start to normalise it, then surely that can only be a good thing. And and so I think, you know, when we come back to talking about how to how to feel empowered around it, I think it's about just telling your story and just being honest. And that's whether that's with your family, with your friends, with your colleagues. You know, don't be scared of what you're going through. It's it's okay to feel what you're feeling, whether that, that could be different. You know, there could be two of you sat in a room and you've both lost someone. It will be a very individual experience and there isn't a one size fits all. But actually share it. Because you may have a commonality there that's going to help each help you both get through it. Um, yeah, I would just just be honest, and I think that's one of the ways that we could start to break the taboo about what it's like to be bereaved and to be grieving. Thank you so much for um, sharing your story, for talking us through what you've been through and what you are going through still, and um, a bit about widowed and young, and also just. Um, hopefully some guidance and support for people that are experiencing a challenging time for themselves as well and also for people that are supporting others that are going through challenging times so thank you thanks for having me so that draws us to a close of another episode of how to empower this has been a really great conversation i would like to thank you again for your time emma um to you to our listeners thank you for tuning in and if you'd like to share your thoughts please get in touch please comment on our social media posts and of course don't forget to rate comment subscribe and keep up to date with future episodes thank you